This is Digital Breakthroughs, putting the spotlight on cutting-edge digital marketing strategies for your business. With your host, CEO of industry-recognized digital marketing and social media agency, National Positions, Bernard May. I'm really excited today to have Leo Griffin join us. Leo is the VP of Digital Strategy over at VF Corporation. VF is one of the world's largest footwear and apparel companies. And Leo is actually leading, one of the leaders at the company, leading the digital transformation of VF's 20 brands, which include Vans, uh, the North Face, Timberland, Dickies, Jansport, and Smart Wool, just uh, to name a few. Leo, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Bernard, it's so great to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, I'd love to just start out by telling the audience maybe a little bit about yourself and how you got into digital marketing. Yeah, certainly. Thank you, Bernard. It's, uh, it's a delight to, uh, to be uh, here with you. Um, so the first thing I should say, actually, is that I'm not, uh, I'm not the chief digital officer. Uh, that is my, uh, my boss, uh, Valia Carboni. So uh, I, don't, uh, I definitely don't want to, uh, uh, to take her, her, her job. I'm grateful for her leadership of, uh, over, uh, over all our um, uh, digital uh, initiatives, but um, yeah, a little bit about how I came to VF. So I, um, I've had a, uh, I think, a non-linear career. I started out uh, as a strategy consultant and spent about a dozen years in strategy consulting, um, most of it uh, with a company called Monitor, which is now part of Deloitte. And I then uh, transitioned to uh, venture capital and then private equity um, and uh, invested in media and, uh, and technology businesses. Um, and uh, from there then went to um, run a couple of companies, uh, smaller companies uh, of my own. Um, and uh, so I uh, I ran, in fact, a, um, uh, a branded uh, organic food manufacturer for a while, um, and uh, then uh, also a, um, an Internet of Things business, and uh, uh, from, uh, from there to, uh, to VF, and uh, helping to lead our, uh, our overall digital transformation. So I know, uh, Leo, you're going through a lot of challenges right now. Obviously, we've got the coronavirus going on as we speak, and I'm sure that's had a big impact on the fashion industry. Um, how do you think it's impacting, you know, companies like yours, uh, this whole, I know there are 20 brands, if I'm right, uh, within the VF uh, scope of business and, and, and what's, what's happening uh, right now in, in your industry? Yeah, so obviously this has a massive impact on our industry. Um, we have, uh, and this, is, this has been impacting uh, global companies like VF for, uh, for some months now. We started to see the impact of this um, early in January as we began to shut down our stores in, uh, in China um, and our Shanghai and um, Hong Kong um, Asia hubs. Um, and uh, so saw uh, you know people working from home out of those uh, out of those locations 
um, pretty early on. That I think has been uh, useful to to companies like us in in at least being being able to create the uh, the playbook um, a little bit for for how to handle this uh, this crisis. So we now see um, that in North America and uh, and, and Europe, um, our stores are closed and our um, our associates are are working from home. Um, and in fact, we're we're now in a place where over 90% of our stores in um, in China are open again, and uh, our uh, our associates there are you know come, beginning to come back to uh, to work in uh, in offices. So uh, you know we're see, we're seeing kind of the the, um, the beginning, middle, and um, uh, hopefully you know tail of this crisis at at, at different points around uh, around the world. Um, you know, obviously. Uh, in addition to all of our stores being closed, and I, I should say um, just quickly, you know how proud I am that VF is. We're continuing to pay all of our retail associates. We haven't furloughed anybody, um, and so in our thousands of stores around the world, we are we're continuing to to, to pay people a, a a wage and allow them to uh, you know continue their to continue to live, um, continue their livelihood, even though they're not uh, they're not showing up for work. But uh, you know, in addition to that, of course, a lot of our retail partners um, are, uh, are shutting or have shut stores down. Uh, you know, obviously, you saw Macy's. Um, furloughing um, the majority of their 130,000 uh, workers, and uh, you know, closing uh, closing their stores. And so, um, you know, Macy's is not a not a, one of our primary partners, but you know, others like Nordstrom, for example, where you know we do a, a good deal of business with them. Um, you know, that has a that has a huge impact. I think the other um, issues that we're seeing are uh, you, you saw. Um, uh, Target uh, talk about the changes in their sales mix uh, that they're experiencing, and um, you know there's there's obviously a big uptake in in kind of essentials, food, and and kind of you know basics, and obviously you know uh, a lot of cleaning and sanitation products and so on. Uh, so they're seeing big uh, big upticks in. Um, in those sales, but they're seeing apparel sales uh, drop, and I, I, you know, I don't think that that's surprising because people are outside less, um, they are out in the public less, and obviously they're, they're, you know, they're prioritizing their spend because we are now in the middle of a uh, of a recession, um, and uh, particularly for um, outdoor brands, I think you know they they have to think through how they can uh, how they can remain relevant and how that the, you know their stories can can continue to be uh, to be relevant in a, a world in which we're increasingly stuck inside. Well, that's uh, very first of all very commendable about VF paying all the employees while they're not working, and uh, uh, extremely impressed by that. And uh, I, I was trying to look at things as as kind of the, the the new normal, and then there's what was normal and what will be normal uh, as uh, as things progress. And I think that's a lot of what we're looking at at national positions for our current clients. You know where they are now, where they're going to be in a I was wondering if we could maybe take ourselves a little bit out of uh, the current normal and go to where we were. I mean, even back if we were going uh, into 2019 and the early part of uh, 2020, uh, what kinds of uh, issues? I know uh, there, there are less retail stores out there today, even 
compared to a couple of years ago. What what were other issues that were facing uh, the and maybe not any issues, but what are the opportunities that you're feeling that are out there uh, and and other uh, areas that 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 could help uh, you know the fashion industry grow over time that you're seeing. Uh, besides what's happening now with uh, coronavirus, uh, coronavirus and COVID-19? Yeah, I mean, I think we are obviously living in a period of just dramatic change um, for, the, uh, for the fashion industry, for the retail industry in general. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously with a, you know, the, uh, the, the onset of a new recession, and we'll hope that it's a it's a very short-lived one. But the onset of a of a new recession um, suddenly, and um, you know, massive changes in in people's um, um, everyday patterns of life. Um, adjusting to that is uh, um, it creates a lot of challenges, and I I am quite certain that we will see winners and um, and losers coming out of this. I think it's commendable that uh, the government is seeking to support both small and medium-sized companies and larger enterprises. Um, but nonetheless, I think that we will see, um, you know, stronger companies that have perhaps been more conservatively managed and have um, uh, deeper pockets are going to come out of this um, uh, in a in a stronger relative competitive position. Than, um, um, than than others, and I I do expect that we'll see you know unfortunately some some bankruptcies in the in the retail sector um, as a result of this. I would say with all of these shifts going on, um, and obviously the, the changing roles of channels and so on is is something that I spend you know quite a bit of time um, thinking about. Um, there's one that kind of that that I would that I would highlight for the fashion industry that's it's not really related at all to um, either coronavirus or um, you know the role of e-commerce and changing roles of channels, and that's really the importance of the um, the environment. And I think that that and, and the environmental impact of the fashion and apparel um, uh, industry, uh, you know, by um, uh, by many measures, we are the second most um, polluting. Um, industry in um, uh, in the world, um, and uh, you know that's after um, that's after oil, right? Um, and uh, so I think there's, and I think consumers are beginning to wake up to this. Um, it's something that you know a few years ago I think very few consumers would have been aware of, and I think you're beginning to see consumers really, you know, having some understanding of the environmental impact, particularly of fast fashion, right? Um, the, the, an industry that's sort of set up to produce things that you wear, you know, maybe two or three times and throw away, um, and, you know, that are often made out of, um, um, you know, materials that have a significant environmental impact and those then go into landfill. Um, I think that that is going to, over the next five years, drive, uh, consumers are going to expect 
you know, very significant changes from, from our industry, and I think that creates a, a real opportunity for companies that are leaders in that space. Um, it is something that we are working very hard on at, uh, at VF um, and um, are uh, you know, a, a leader in, uh, in that space, but we have certainly you know, much, more, much more work to do. That is extremely interesting. I, I, I know geeking out on, on a couple of trends and where we're going, of course, the environment is so important to so many people. Um, are we actually going to get to the point where everybody uh, will have their, their sizes on file and you know, big data will be there and you're going to be served up uh, clothing that will be related to your specific dimensions and needs and preferences do you think we'll ever get to something like that um with with big data i think uh, machine learning and big data certainly uh, has a very big role to play in the apparel industry um you know one of the coming back to the um, environmental theme i think that one of the things that big data can um, help us to do is to make sure that we are making the right amount of product that we are having the right size right color um, right style in the right store right place at the right time for the consumer who wants it that once you're you know once you're running thousands of stores and you've you've got thousands of of different um, SKUs uh, it becomes an incredibly uh, challenging um, uh, problem, right, to solve, because you have to try and figure out really where each unit of clothing is, um, is best placed um, for, um, you know, most likely to have a consumer um, want to buy it. And as you develop that efficiency, it, it should allow um, it should allow retailers to actually, you know, make less product because right now, if you don't have the the really accurate insights on where you you put you need to put product, you're going to put too much product in the store, um, and then the result of that, of course, is is you know markdowns and closeouts, um, or you know moving at it out to off price channels um, and you know other ways of of, of liquidating that uh, that inventory. So I think that that um, that's something that we're certainly working hard at and um, you know putting investments into. Um, and I do think that you know coming back to the theme of environmentalism, it will will have an impact there. You know, I, there are lots of other areas where big data can play a role. And you talked uh, a little bit about you know, personalization and how do you, um, you know, how do you deliver um, for for an individual the the product that they really want. Um, I'm um, fascinated by Stitch Fix, which is uh, you know a, uh, a, a a growing emerging player in the apparel market that. Um, you know, develops really deep um, data-based insights uh, into uh, their um, their uh, shoppers, and um, you know delivers custom packages to uh, you know their their uh, several million consumers um, of you know basically um, hand-picked um, outfits and, and pieces of apparel. Um, but uh, while there's there's human cre uh, curation. 
in that there is a human touch in it. Uh, the vast majority of uh, the, the selection and the understanding of, of what a consumer is, is likely to buy is, is big data driven. And, um, you know, they have a, a team of um, uh, over 150 data scientists that is just uh, working on, on, you know, solving those problems of, uh, of understanding consumer need and, and driving, uh, driving that personalization. So I think we'll continue to, uh, to see that. Um, and consumers are demanding more personalization. I think there's an interesting tension between uh, the consumer desire for greater personalization, but at the same time, a um, concern around how much data uh, companies are capturing. And of course, that data is necessary to, to drive that personalization. I was wondering, uh, you know, that's so interesting. And I know people have even spoken about, you know, potentially having uh, clothing be produced, uh, you know, locally through uh, 3D printing and things like that. But I was wondering if I could maybe pivot a little bit to talk about Amazon. And of course, uh, we're seeing with most of our clients that a lot of the sales, uh, sometimes up to uh, 50 or, or more percent of the online sales are happening on Amazon. But we're also seeing brands like Nike. They're pulling, uh, Nike in 2019 pulled all their brands of Amazon. Um, what are you guys doing? Uh, what is your view on Amazon? And, and, and are there any other alternatives to, to Amazon that you see? Yeah, so, you know, I can't really speak to um, Nike and their, you know, their intentions. I don't have any insider knowledge on that. What I would say, though, is I'm pretty sure that if you go to Amazon and type in Nike, you'll see there's a, um, there's a lot of Nike shoes available on Amazon. So, you know, Nike, um, I think that was, that there was a lot of publicity around that move, um, but it didn't really change the availability of Nike shoes on the, on the Amazon platform. It's just that, you know, um, my, my impression is that, you know, Nike's not selling direct on Amazon, but they're, um, their, their retail partners are. Um, so I, I think, you know, Amazon is very, very good. You know, they're world-class at um, some things. Um, they're not good at everything. I would say they are world-class at um, transactions, right? And it's a very transactional, you know, I, I find myself using Amazon in a very transactional fashion. That's challenging for brands because Amazon's not a great place to tell stories about your brand. It's not a great place to be able really to merchandise your, um, uh, your, your brand. Um, and, uh, you know, because of the way that Amazon has set its, uh, set its business up, it's um, you know it's very difficult to maintain, of course, any any kind of you know pricing control um, on uh, on Amazon. I think you know for our stable of brands, some of our brands work you know quite closely with Amazon and sell um, a um, you, you know a uh, a material portion of their revenues. Nothing like the the fifty percent that that you talked about. But you know Amazon is a meaningful partner to us, retail partner to us. For some of our brands, for some it's really not, and we've we've made the decision to um, you know to not be on Amazon. 
I think that the and that you know that comes down to um, the um, you know the power of the brand, the availability of the brand in other channels, and um, uh, you know the also the ability I would say to be able to police Amazon because it does require a significant amount of resource just to manage that channel, manage the resellers on it, manage what they're selling, and um, uh, try and keep some um, differentiation between you know the product line that you might find on Amazon and the product line that you might find in other places and so that's something that we invest pretty heavily in in doing and again it, it varies a little from brand to brand but but uh, it's it's certainly a theme for for our brands so you know in general you will not find all of one of our brand's products on Amazon. You might find a small selection there because you know it's a great place to go and shop the basics, but it's not necessarily the best place if you're looking for a technical mountaineering jacket and you want to really understand the different you know criteria behind the, that jacket and so on. Um, in terms of alternatives to Amazon, I would say that you know, on the one hand, we continue to see Amazon, you know, gaining market share and and doing, you know, outperforming in um, in apparel. Um, on the other hand, I would say that there are a um, a growing set of competitors for Amazon. They don't have anything like the the scale or power that Amazon has yet, but they they um, for many of our brands, you know, we're looking at uh, at, at working with different members of that that set of competitors and and figuring out how they can fit into you know our overall brand strategy so some of the ones I'd mentioned of course you know Instagram which has been a fabulous storytelling platform um, for uh, for brands is um, you know is now enabling brand is now enabling e-commerce through um, through the Instagram platform and that's something that for example um, uh, you know, Timberland is um, is working on right now. Um, Target, I think, is uh, is very interesting uh, because they have, I think, taken a much more. Um, they have deliberately um, elected to become a place where brands can tell stories because it's um, and and can really, um, you know, help to build their their, their brand um, because. You know, in that sense, they're, they're trying to be the anti-Amazon, I think. Um, and so I think that's a very welcome, um, uh, you know, new new entrant and, and development. Um, and then, you know, Walmart, I think, is is very interesting. Historically, Walmart was, you know, not a place that you you would uh, you would necessarily want to put, um, you know, premium brands. I think Walmart.com is. Uh, taking a a somewhat differentiated approach versus the the big box stores, and uh, uh, you know they're trying to um, uh, trying to attract um, you know uh, more upmarket apparel brands, and we'll see how successful that is. That is extremely fascinating, and just that that change in the role of stores. I think you'd agree that that the online uh, the online growth is is constant, and that means that there's this fight for attention. There's, there are these brands that are trying to tell their story online. How, how are these big fashion brands building out their brand story? How do they, they, they become relevant? How are they distinguishing themselves from others? 
Yeah, so we talked a little bit about stories um, uh, and storytelling. I mean, I think it's worth quickly unpacking uh, to to ask the question, you know, why does storytelling matter? Why should brands tell their stories? And I, I mean, I think it's it's because stories are the way we connect with um, with others. Um, they are, you know, our brains, I think, are really hardwired to remember and respond to stories. And, and you know, our emotional response to stories is is much higher than it is to uh, to other ways of communicating. So, um, you know, so, so as brands um, seek to build uh, relationships and and loyalty, storytelling is an incredibly powerful tool to to do that. Um, you know, I I would say that the um, you know stories have to be um, they have to be compelling and interesting. I think they have to be about human beings because ultimately that's um, that's where our um, you know that's what resonates with us from an emotional point of view, um, and I think they also have to be you know they have to be relatively simple, um, and so the 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 art of storytelling for brands is is in is in kind of being able to create an open story that has emotional emotionally compelling elements has human elements but at the same time has a, a kind of core simplicity that people can can understand and, and and remember but that openness that allows um consumers to build that story as well as brand you know brand marketers to build on that story right to, over time um, and sort of to come back to the core elements of it but to be able to keep extending that that story to me, I think that what digital tools have enabled us to do is to tell that story in you know so many new ways, and it, it's obviously created a lot of demands on marketers, um, you know, for the amount of content that they potentially have to produce, the um, uh, you know the many different channels that they might need to to tell stories on. Um, and, um, I would say, uh, you know, so that's, that it, it's great, but, you know, we need to remember that it's, it's really, um, created a, I think, um, a huge challenge for, for marketers. And I think it has, um, changed the, the skill set requirements for, uh, for great marketers, right? And, the, and this kind of toolbox that they need to have at their, um, at their disposal. The, you know, I would I would say the the second piece of this is that it has made it um, uh, so much easier for consumers to be part of the story, right? And the the compelling stories are ones that consumers are part of. Um, you know, one of our brands, Jan Sport, just. Um, Launched a TikTok campaign a week or so ago around uh, you know COVID-19, where they're giving away 10,000 backpacks with uh, food and supplies, um, and they're doing that by um, uh, giving one away for each uh, each video um, that's, uh, that that someone creates, sharing kind of their, what's in their home backpack. 
Um, and um, uh, so, you know, as we're staying inside, maybe not venturing out, you know, you've still got kind of your, your um, school, um, you know, your, your homeschooling work perhaps, you know, uh, uh, put together in your backpack. So just having people kind of unpack their, their packs. Um, and um, so, you know, that I think is a, is a powerful way of involving consumers in the, the storytelling about the, the, about the brand. Um, if you go onto Instagram, there's almost 23 million uh, posts with the hashtag Vans. And, you know, the, the massive majority of those are not brand created, right? They're created by our, our consumers who are telling their own stories and the role the Vans plays in their life. And, you know, some of the values that they're espousing, some of the values of, of you know, creativity and, and um, you know, independence and kind of, you know, weirdness sometimes, right, that, that um, the Vans, uh, Vans stands for. Um, and so when you, can, when you can harness consumers in that way to become part of your brand's overall story, you know, that's incredibly powerful. And that's obviously what... Uh, uh, what digital tools uh, uh, enable uh, enable vans and uh, you know other great uh, um, apparel and fashion brands to uh, to achieve? Well, thank you so much, uh, Leo. It's been wonderful having you on the show today. So many great insights. So interesting. Love to have you back at another time. Um, I really appreciate uh, all the insights and all the great information you gave us. And thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure, Bernard. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'd, I'd love to come back another time at, uh, at some point. And uh, I hope that you and uh, all your listeners stay safe and, uh, and sane. You've been listening to Digital Breakthroughs, featuring experts in all the areas of cutting-edge digital marketing. Digital Breakthroughs is hosted by Bernard May, CEO of leading social media and digital marketing agency, National Positions, located online at nationalpositions.com.